Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Copy God's Word. Once you find the book of Genesis, chapter one, is where we're going to start at tonight. We're going to be a little bit all over the place, and I am so fired up that you made the decision to get here tonight. Hopefully, you've been tracking with us in this series called "Good for My Soul." We started off with kind of like a concert sermon type thing uh, with with Jordan and Sasha. That was an incredible night. Just they got to share their story. They got to share some of their music. They're actually, I think, doing their debut album release party thing or whatever at the record bar this Thursday night. So if you like their music, go support them. We would love to see a big showing at that deal Thursday night. You can find it on their social media. Then last week, uh, you got to hear from one of my good friends, Jason, and he talked about the gift of singleness. And we looked at this biblical perspective on this season of life that many of you find yourselves in. How many of y'all loved hearing from Jason last week? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. I just like, he's the kind of guy that I'm like, tell me another story. And then what happened, you know, and there's so many things that he's been able to experience and God's just using him in an incredible way. And uh, if you were here last week, you heard a pirate story. If you weren't here last week, Jason was abducted by river pirates in the Amazon jungle. And so it's a long story. You have to go back and listen to it last week. Well, I have a river pirate story too. That's something that him and I have in common. There's a bit of irony in the story and I'll share that with you in just a second. But my wife and I, we were gifted um, a kayak cruise, if you will, on the Missouri River. It's not a cruise, but a kayak excursion on the Missouri River. And we got to see Kansas City from the water. It's something that you all should experience. Here's a picture of us right here. Yeah, look at that. And so we're out there cruising, you know, and you, you got the Missouri River, which I wouldn't recommend swimming in that river, um, but you got it, you know, it's brown and it's got its place, you know, and, and we're nice and cozy in our kayaks. We have our place and we're having a good time. I mean, it was a great time. It was a beautiful Saturday evening. We had some friends watching our kids, just her and I just making eyes the whole time, you know. It was good for my soul, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we were there, it was amazing. Um, and we were about to finish up our little kayak excursion when the pirates arrived. There were some young adults, Jason being one of them, who found out that we were going to be on the river at that time, and they boarded like a makeshift barge that one of the guys had put together, and they're just like cruising through every kayaker trying to find where I am, and they come up on me, and they're like, hey, and I'm thinking, oh, it's my friends, it's young adults, this is going to be great, and then the closer they get, the more I realize, I think they're trying to get really close. And now everybody watching this that didn't know us with our group, they thought we were just about to get jumped by some people because literally as they got closer, one of the young adults with his shirt off just goes Geronimo on the kayak and he completely you know, turns the kayak over and water starts flooding into my kayak and I'm soaking wet now, wearing Ray-Bans, I lose those in the river, which is a problem, right? And um, anyway, and it was just like everything, like everything was out of place. The river where it was supposed to be was now all over me. Uh, the river water, it was now all in my kayak. I had lost some precious things to me. And the kayak that I was once floating in was now sinking because everything got out of its place. It really thwarted a lot of the plans that I had that day. And the reason why I start there tonight is because we're talking about sex tonight. And when it comes to sex, Sex has its proper place, and it serves an amazing purpose. But when it gets out of its place, it can cause your life to sink. 
When sex gets out of its place, it can cause you to lose something that's valuable to you. And when sex gets out of its place, it can cause your plans in life to be, to be altered a little bit. And that there is every one of us to some degree or another, we have come in here and there is something or someone, and we may have been the one guilty of it that has sabotaged our sex life. Something maybe we weren't planning on happening or something we very well planned to happen and it sabotaged what we thought was supposed to be sweet. And so we've kind of grown up in this culture that is like sex saturated. You know, like every, like you, you can't buy toothpaste without someone sexy trying to sell you some toothpaste, you know? I mean, it's just the, it's the air that we breathe and we can't avoid that in our culture. So it'd be naive for me to get up here and say, hey, well just, you know, just turn the other way and don't look and, and avoid it at all costs. It's like, that's impossible. Have you driven down the highway or have you opened up any social media media or have you watched any shows lately and we we're in this culture where we're so inundated with sexual things that really our generation has has lowered its standard on what is morally acceptable so there's a Gallup poll that's been uh, going on since 2001 and it's been asking Americans what is morally acceptable and it's been asking according to a few different categories. And the most recent update of this was in 2017 that I found. And here's what they found just in regard to what's morally acceptable. Americans are saying that divorce, 75% of Americans, hey, that's okay. Sex between unmarried men and women, 70%, that's all right. Gay or lesbian relations, 63%. Having babies outside of marriage, 62%. Sex between teenagers, I don't know why it's a category, but 36%. Pornography, 36%. Polygamy. 17%, come on, man. I don't know how to that. And then here's what's interesting is extramarital affairs, for some reason, we still would say, hey, that's not okay. So 9%, nine out of 100, a really small minority. So what, what we're saying as a culture is that sex before you get married, however you wanna do it, whenever you wanna do it, with whomever you wanna do it, that's all right, by and large. But once you get married, once you get in a, a lockdown relationship, you can't abuse sex anymore. Another research, so you think, well, maybe these are people that aren't Christians, you know, and maybe if you come in here and you're a Christ follower, you think, well, I'm a Christ follower and I, I'm better, I do things differently. Um, if that's the case, if you think that, you're a little bit naive. Pew Research, they released a report recently that found that over half of Christians say that casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. So we're in this series called Good For My Soul, where we're talking about things relationally, uh, relationship, romantically, we're talking about singleness, we're talking about sex and dating, all kinds of things like that. And here's what we've been saying all along, here's our hope for this series, that you understand that God made you with an immaterial soul, that there's a part of you that's gonna live forever. And so we're not talking about just physical things in this series, we're talking about something that is much deeper than just the physical, we're talking about the immaterial that you and I possess that makes us distinct in the crescendo of all of creation, and that's our soul. And God, he's made us with this soul and he's made the soul to operate within constructs and what God gives, he also governs and he says, there's a way for you to maximize your relational life in a way that is really, really good for your soul. That God, he's hardwired us with this ability to tie our soul to another in the most intimate act that two people can share, and that's sex. But if it's going to be good for your soul, then it needs to stay in its proper place. Because again, when sex gets out of place, it can cause all sorts of problems, and it can sink your life. So if you're taking notes, and I've titled this message, Sex. Sex. And here's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see the plan for sex. 
I want you to see the perversion of sex. And before we leave tonight, I want to give you a message of hope. Now, the church isn't really good at talking about sex. Like it's one of these subjects that's like, you know, let's just, just don't do it. And then when you get married, just pretend like, you know, like you see, go to a Christian wedding and everybody's like, everybody's thinking like, oh buddy, you know, congratulations, you know, but nobody's saying that, you know, we just kind of, everybody's like, oh, y'all have a good time on your honeymoon. What are y'all going to do? You know? And uh, like, that's just kind of how it works. And then when it comes to sexual sins and it comes to the perversions of sex, it's like, we're all aware of that in our culture. But we somehow come into this place and it's like, well, we, you know, we can't really talk about that. You know, even though everybody's struggling with that a little bit, but we, we can't really talk, we can't really address that because God's here and he's watching and, you know, we, we, you know, and God and sex and I, you know, I don't know if he's down with all of this, you know, and we just, and so it comes into this place and we're like, does, what does God even think about sex? Is he just kind of sexually repressed? Is it antiquated and outdated or, or does the Bible have something to say? about this very important thing in our life. And I would propose to you that the Bible says quite a bit about this aspect of our life. The Bible tells us that God, he creates everything that we know perfect, rhythmically, in harmony, in beauty, and he creates it to reflect his glory. And one of the things that God puts in a perfect, good, sinless world is the act of sex that the first commandment that God gave mankind was to have sex. That many of you, many of you have come in here tonight and when it comes to this subject matter and your faith and your relationship with God, you don't see how those two collide. And I'm here to tell you that this is very important to God. In fact, he wrote it into the way that the world was supposed to be made. And so in Genesis chapter one, here's what it says in verse 27. So God's created everything and now it comes to him creating mankind. And here's what it says. So God created man in his own image. You and I are distinct, you know. We're not just like a monkey and then a little bit better, all right? Like God, he took his image and everything that is great and beautiful and glorious about him. And he said, man, what can we create that could reflect us and could be our representatives on this earth? Let's create mankind that there's something is innately valuable about you and me here tonight because we represent the image of God Almighty. So here's what it says. So God created man in his own image and then it just repeats it. In the image of God, he created him. Now note this distinction. He created him male and female. He created them. And so men, you're, no, you're not a better reflection of God's glory, even though you may think that when you look in the mirror, all right? Ladies, you're not a better reflection of God's glory that it's men and women, when we come together, we are the perfect reflection of God's glory, of his image. And so men aren't better than women, women aren't better than men, that we're both created equal but distinct. And so it goes on, it says this, then God blessed them and God said to them, here it is, be fruitful and multiply. That's Bible speak of go get it on, all right? Be fruitful and multiply, go make babies. And, And we all know how babies are made. And it says, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write, write this down. The plan for sex. The plan for sex. See, sex was meant to be enjoyed by a husband and his wife for, by and large, procreation and pleasure. And so we see here in the text that God, he creates man and woman. And let's just start right, stop right there. God created men the way men are created, and God created women the way women are created, and he created them with a different physiology. I don't have to give a biology lesson. Hopefully we're all adults here. We know how the distinctions and physiology distinctions between a man and a woman. And he created them like a hand in a glove. And God created their parts. God created all of, all of their glands. God created the 
intimate parts, the, the anatomy that's just there for pleasure, no other purpose. God was the inventor of it all. God patented the pleasurable parts of the body. That was his idea. So when it comes to like, where did, where did uh, pleasure and all that stuff have its origin? It has its origin in God, that God created male and female. And he created us to be able to procreate, but he also created us for pleasure. And that all of the longings that we have sexually are meant to find their safe place in the context of a marriage and meant to have the freedom of expression. And listen, the plan was to do this all along. This was God's idea that God created them. He created them man and woman. The second thing we see from this verse is that God blessed them. And so you have this picture, right? Well, God, he creates them. So you got our first parents, Adam and Eve. And then it says he blessed them. Now I've done several weddings in my lifetime. And when I do a wedding, when I officiate a, a, a wedding ceremony, basically what I'm doing is I am representing God in front of this, this couple and in front of this audience. And I'm saying based upon the authority that God has given me, and we're looking to his divine approval, I'm blessing this couple to go and be fruitful and multiply and go be married. And so it's this idea that God has Adam and Eve. Eve's not wearing a white dress. Holla, she ain't wearing nothing, all right? Adam's not wearing a a tuxedo. He's not wearing anything at this first wedding and he's blessing them and he's saying, oh, I made you guys. I made you woman I made you man. You guys fit together. I'm blessing you. You be married. You be in a covenant relationship. You, You make your vows sincere to one another. And then it says he said, go be fruitful and multiply. Or if you're taking notes, the plan for sex, God created man and woman. He blessed them. And then number three, he commanded sex. He commanded sex. Again, I think sometimes we think that God said, hey, y'all go be fruitful and multiply, but I'm not gonna give you any directions. And God went to the ice box. He's like, Holy Spirit, what you want to drink? And Jesus is like, I want some ice cream. You know, and they're like hanging out at the ice box. And then Satan comes in. He's like, ding, 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 ding. And he's like, you should do this and do this to her and do this. And then, and then God comes back and he's like, what are y'all doing? How did this happen? No, that's not what happened. It was God's ideal all along. He said, you go be fruitful and multiply. And this is beautiful. And this is right. And again, all of this is before the fall. All of this is before sin entered the world. And so we see this intention, this plan for sex. It was created by God that was meant to bless marriages so that they could enjoy one another and so that they could procreate. And you see all throughout the scripture, you'll see different verses like this. One of my guys that's about to get married, he was like, hey, what was that verse again? Because I think he wants to make it his, like, he wants to dedicate Um, the first year of his marriage to this verse, you know, and it's Deuteronomy 24, five. And it says this, that men in their first year of marriage are to refrain from work and warfare so that they can go make their wife happy. Now, I don't know exactly what happy means, but I can speculate what that means. All right. And so God, the way that he set up his government, y'all have heard of like paternal leave, like where the dad gets to take time off when the baby comes, you know, like this was like, when you get married, you get a year off of work and you don't have to go to war so that you can go make your wife happy. Praise God, right? This is God's idea. You read, there's a whole book in the Old Testament that, that Jewish boys couldn't read until they were like of age to get married because it was so erotic. And it's the book called Song of Solomon. And it's about this, this couple and they meet one another and you get to see kind of their engagement and their marriage. And then you also kind of get like a verbal um, expression of their honeymoon night and another occasion that they got together. And what you're seeing in that book is that over and over that God is picturing love like wine. And he says, you can get drunk on this. He says, you be drunk on this love and you have your fills. 
You see uh, elsewhere in the book of wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, that it says this, that like it's this blessing to this couple and it's saying this to the guy, may your fountain be blessed. Now I'll let you figure out what that means. All right, may your fountain be blessed and may you enjoy the wife of your youth. That God's saying like, not only did I create this, but I'm also encouraging that there be pleasure and that there be procreation and that this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That in a perfect world, when sex is in its rightful place, it leads to procreation and it leads to pleasure. But listen, Satan, the devil, he always wants to sabotage what God has started. And it's interesting that we really don't see Satan at work until Adam and Eve are together. And so the story plays out in Genesis chapter three that Adam and Eve are first parents. They're married, they're enjoying life, they're enjoying their relationship with God. Satan comes into the garden, he begins to tempt them and he convinces them to rebel against God Almighty. And when they rebel against God Almighty and they do the one thing that they weren't supposed to do, sin enters the world and sin sabotages everything that we know, sex included. And so many of you have come in here tonight, and when we talk about sex, let me just kind of say a disclaimer. Many of you, when we talk about that, that brings up a lot of baggage in your life. Because maybe you've come in here and, and you've been abused as a child. Or maybe you were in college and, and you did some things you shouldn't have done. You drank some things or you smoked some things or you took some things. And then you woke up and you found out that some men took advantage of you or vice versa. And there weren't any charges pressed. And you were abused. And when we talk about this subject matter, you're like, I don't even know if I, can, if I can talk about this in this place. And I'm here to tell you if that took place, I am, first of all, I am so sorry. Second of all, that was never God's intention. And that sex has been sabotaged, it's been hijacked. And then there's other people when it comes to sex being, being about procreation, that there's many people, and some of my best friends included, that are trying to get pregnant. They're like, man, we, we felt like we're doing everything right according to God's standard, but for some reason, we can't, get, we can't have babies. And that sex was designed for procreation so that we can have children. It was also designed for pleasure. And, and because of the fall of man, many things are broken. And if you're here and, and you can't have kids, I'm sorry. That this is a part of the brokenness of the sin that cut loose early on in man's experience. But this was never the plan. That Genesis 3, we see that sin corrupts what God created and that we're suffering to this day because of it. And so we're in the series, again, called Good for My Soul. And for many of you, sex has been nothing but the opposite. That we've taken this wonderful thing and now it's out of place. That we were supposed to, you know, just like we were on the river that day and the water had its place, I was in my safe place. And then when I got sabotaged by this guy, everything got out of place. And now the water was in my kayak, it's sinking, I'm losing things. And that's again a picture of a lot of our sex lives. And that the Bible is, is not just a book of good intentions. Now, and many of you, you've come in here and you're like, man, the Bible is idealistic. It's like philosophy for life, but it really doesn't get into the nitty gritty of life. And I would beg to differ. Because the Bible, it's not gonna say like, this is how things ought to be, the end. The scripture's very clear and it's very honest about the way things are. And so we see sin enters the world early on in the third chapter of the whole Bible. And the Bible's full of 66 books with many chapters. And the rest of the Bible is basically seeing how sin has corrupted the world and seeing the way that God wants to redeem mankind and calling people to understand the way of God and then to walk in that way in the best that they can with his help. 
And so we see as we fast forward into the Bible that sex, it has been perverted historically. We see all of these broken things. And then we see that Jesus steps onto the scene. He begins to change the world, save people's souls. And he calls them, hey, come follow me. There's a better way. Let's return back to what was once paradise. And let's follow me into this way. And that involves your sex life. If you're here and you think that you can follow Jesus in 90% of your life, but you don't follow him in the 10% of your sex life, listen, you're not following Jesus. Jesus wants every Thing. He's the Lord of it all. He wants all of you. He wants your finances. He wants your sex life. He wants your mental life. He wants everything about you. And this is what it means to die to yourself and to follow Jesus. So when it comes to this aspect of our life, oftentimes we'll say, you know, I'm going to do me the way I want to do me. And I'm going to take care of my, my relationship stuff. And then I'm going to come in here and raise hands. And we somehow think that it's okay. But listen, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No, when you commit to follow me, you don't have to have it all together initially. But I am Lord of it all. And you have to surrender all of it to me. And we're not called to be perfect, but we are called to make progress. And that involves this area of our life. And so in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's one of the greatest theologians in the Bible. And he's writing to this group of people that, like when, it talks, when you talk about like, like trying to follow Jesus in the midst of a sexually saturated society, I think sometimes we, we misrepresent the people in the Bible like they had it easy back then. They didn't have TikTok. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have whatever. They didn't have Vegas. They didn't have where New Orleans. They didn't have any of that stuff. But they had Corinth, okay? And Corinth was a crazy place. The Greek word for Corinth literally means satiate. What that means is that you, you, you pursue excessive pleasure. That's the name of the town was like Corinth, pursue excessive pleasure. It's where people like went and they, they beat their, like I'm from Texas, I'm proud to be from Texas. Never met a humble Texan, right? And like we're proud to be from Texas for some reason, I'm not real sure, but we are proud to be from Texas. And like the people that are from Corinth, they are proud to be from Corinth and they are proud by the way that they can pursue pleasure. And there were all of these things that they could go to and and be a part of that prostitution. It was kind of like the air that they breathed. But then the church broke out in Corinth. And so Paul's writing to them. He's like, hey guys, here's the deal. Man, when Jesus changes your life, again, you got to surrender everything. Like you, you can't like, you can't be in the praise band and then go to the prostitutes in the same, like you can't do that, you know? And they're trying to figure out all this stuff. And so Paul writes to them and he says, let me give you some real practical advice about how to honor God with your sex life. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 18, he just simply says, flee sexual immorality. If you're looking for a memory verse, this, was, this would be an easy one. Three words. You know, like I'm working on memorizing the Bible, working on learning the word of God. Here's, here's one, 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee sexual immorality. That'd be a good one, yeah. And so you can just circle that in your Bible, underline that, and here's what it says. It gives us a, a good reason why. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality, he sins against his own body. Paul's saying that this sin, it's a little bit different than the other ones. Now, all sin is sin in God's eyes, but not all consequences are the same when it comes to sin. And he's saying the sexual sin, you've got to run from it. If you, if you get caught up in sexual immorality, it's not gonna end well for you. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, the perversion of sex. The perversion of sex. Right here, Paul, he's, he's commanding these, this group of Christians. He's saying that your response to sexual temptation, if you want to honor God, is that you have to flee, you have to run. And he, he's insinuating that God had a plan for sex, but the world has corrupted that. And so now there's all of these different deviancies, and now the water's in the kayak, if you will, and it's going down, and we've got to do something about it. Now, it's interesting when you read other parts of the Bible, because uh, you'll find phrases like this, like when you're facing the devil, like let's say you're in the octagon with the devil 
And James, the half-brother of Jesus, he would say this, that you're to stand firm and resist the devil. So it's this idea that when you face the devil, you can stand and resist. But when you face sexual immorality, you better run. Get your hokas on and you better run, right? Get out of there. That you are not called to stand in the octagon with sexual immorality. You're called to get out. And so when, he, when that booty call comes in tonight, delete him out of your whole phone, block him. Don't even, don't even, I'm gonna keep him in there. And he, you know, cause he's kind of cute and I like the attention. I'm gonna see what the voicemail says, you know? Delete him, all right? When you're scrolling and then that girl that you went to college with, she's been at the beach this summer and she's wearing, you know, whatever the, the swimsuit that she's wearing and she's like posting and then you're just like, you know, you just need to be like, well, I'm gonna give her a second chance. Don't give her a second chance. Unfollow her, all right? And run away from that sexual temptation. Well, I think the, the next question that's, uh, that's, that's interesting for us to ask is, well, well what, is, what is it? What is sexual immorality exactly? And, and I'm, I think that the Bible and the authors in the scriptures, they knew that there would be this tendency in us all, especially when it comes to sexual sin, that if it said like, hey, um, flee fornication, uh, which is sex outside of marriage, flee adultery, which is um, cheating on your spouse, um, flee uh, pleasing yourself. Um, and, and if it kind of went down a list like that, you would be like, well, it didn't, and I know, all right, I'm gonna do these, but it didn't say I couldn't with my left hand and my right foot and my ear, you know, and you may have some kind of weird thing, you know, and justify that. And so it just simply says flee sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea, which we, we get our word pornography. And it's kind of this junk drawer word that just means all kinds of sexual deviancy. If it doesn't measure up to God's glorious plan for sex, it's in the bucket of sexual immorality. Think of it this way, if you can't glorify God with your sex life, something's broken. If there's shame involved, if there's guilt involved, if there's regret involved, if it's not, if it's not in marriage and not leading to procreation and pleasure, then it's not God's best. And, and Paul is saying, flee, flee from that. When we were on the river, um, when I saw the guys, like I, I knew that they were out there. I didn't know if we were gonna see each other. And so when I saw Jason and, and his little crew, I think he calls the captain, Captain Trasparo. When I saw him, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and then I see my buddy Tim and he's shirtless with some weird tattoos and, you know, and they're out there and I'm like, I'm like, hey, you know, and they're my buddies, you know, and then, and they're trying to get closer and, and then, at some point, I'm like, yeah, let's get closer. It's like I start, you know, I kind of stall in the river with my paddle, and then I see them, I start like paddling towards them, and then and, and I, like I start pursuing them, and then I realize Tim is about to jump on my kayak. Like I, I thought he was just going to high-five me, and he's thinking, you know, he's looking, you know, getting peer pressure from the other guys, and he's like, here I go, you know, and, no, and this is a big guy. He's probably 2.30, you know, and we go down. And I should have ran away from him but I ran towards them. And many of you, you're seeing the temptation come and you are paddling towards it instead of running from it. And you're wondering why your life is sinking. <laughs> you're wondering why what is not supposed to be in your kayak is now in your kayak. You're wondering why you're losing precious things in your life and you're running after the very things. You're running after the very people that are sabotaging you. You're looking at the websites. You're posting the pictures. You're taking the phone calls. You're going to the clubs. You're going to the, the places that are gonna sabotage you. And Paul's saying, you need to flee. You gotta flee sexual immorality. 
I think sometimes we can come to a place like this and, and when we start asking like, well, why, why, why is God like, don't, don't do it, don't do it. You know, what's up with that? Why is God all about that, you know? And I think sometimes that we can be in spaces like this and we can be like, well, you just gotta honor God. You know, you gotta honor God. That's why you don't do it. And, and I think that's a very sufficient reason. When, it talk, when we talk about why we are to pursue sexual purity, why we are to flee from sexual immorality, many times we don't know why other than God said so. And if you're anything like me, if I don't know the why behind the what, oftentimes I'll lose my way because there's a little rebel inside of me. I'm American and I'm from Texas, all right? That's not a good combo, all right? I push against the rules. And so here's two good reasons why you should pursue sexual purity. One is God is holy and God doesn't play games and he is righteous and he is to be honored. And we sang earlier, he is worthy of it all. That's a great reason. But it's, it's, it's more involved than that. God is trying to do something in you, in your abstinence. I'll talk with couples that are engaged, you know, and they're just goo-goo-eyed. You like, we get married, we get married, you know. Just like, it's, it, it's like sugared cereal with Coke, you know, it's just so sweet, you know. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And I always challenge them. I'm like, man, congratulations, marriage is such a great thing. And uh, you're in this really awkward season where everything is getting fired up, uh, but you're having this, wait, and I always encourage them a few different things, but when it comes to their sexuality, I'll say, hey, I encourage you to continue to fight for sexual purity. And I'll ask them this question. I'll say, hey, do you think you're gonna need trust in your marriage? And they'll look at each other like, yeah, of course. I trust you so much, I love you, you know? Do you think you're gonna need self-control in your marriage? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I think we'll need self-control. And then I'll ask, do you think you're gonna need patience in your marriage? And sure, like every relationship that's of any substance is gonna need trust, patience, and self-control. And then I'll ask them, how do you think you build those things? And I think we all want virtues, but many of us don't wanna pay the price to build them. You don't go to the store and just get a virtue. You don't wake up godly someday without doing anything. You have to train yourself for those things. If you wanna make progress in any way, it's the same way with weightlifting, it's the same way with being a great musician. These people that were up here leading us in worship, doing, using their gifts, just amazing. Like, they didn't just wake up talented like that. They had to work at it. And virtues are the same way. The way that you build trust, the way that you build patience, and the way that you build self-control is that you learn how to tell your sex drive no. See, our sex drive is like a spooled child. It needs discipline, not indulgence. And so I'll look at this couple and I'll say, hey, it's really important that you fight for sexual purity because God's trying to build something in both of you that you're desperately gonna need to have a strong marriage because there's gonna be seasons where you're gonna have to be patient with one another sexually. There's gonna be times where you're not with one another and, and he's working out of town or she's working out of town and, and you don't need to have in the back of your mind when you're out of town, bro, if she's letting the mailman in, all right? And you're gonna need you're gonna need trust. And the best way to build those is abstinence. That abstinence are the back squats that bulk up the virtues of trust, self-control, and patience. And so that, that's a why behind the what. God's saying, flee sexual morality. He's saying, trust me with your sex life, not only because am I worthy, not only because am I holy and righteous and good and honorable, but also I'm trying to give you something. I'm not trying to rob something from you. I'm trying to lead you to greater pleasure in the end. 
And so that's a good why. I think sometimes we miss that. We think God, well, because God said so. But he's trying to do something. He's trying to give you something. He's not trying to take something from you. God is a good God, amen? He's good. He's a good father. His rules are good. His ways are right. Well, I think it begs the question, if we're trying to flee from sexual morality, I think it's like, well, you know, what, what does that look like practically? Like, how do I flee it? You know, do I, like, like, do I literally just run out of the place when I get tempted? And some of the guys would be like, or, or some of all of us would be like, I'm just running all the time because I'm always tempted. You know, this, there's these desires and there's pretty people everywhere, you know, and it's like, I just got to run, you know. How do I do this functionally? Because again, it's naive to think that you're going to get away from the temptation. It's everywhere. It's all around us. It's within us. And so here's four ways that you can flee. It spells the word flee. The first thing is that you've got to fill your life. You've got to fill your life. It's important that you look at what you're filling your life with. Many of you are so sexually turned on because you're listening to such sexually saturated songs and you're, you're watching Euphoria and you think, oh, well, that's all right. I mean, it's not pornography, but you know, I can watch that and it's okay. Or you're watching some sort of weird sex documentary on whatever your streaming service is and you're following all of these like fitness stars, but really there's semi-porn stars on your Instagram and, and you think that that's okay. And you're filling your life with those things. You're wondering, why can't I flee from this? Why can't I flee from this? Because you're filling your life with the wrong things. Here's three things that you should fill your life with instead. First thing is you got to fill your life with God's word, with God's word. When Jesus was in the height of temptation, early on in the gospels, the way that he combated the devil was with the word of God. The word of God is our arrow against the enemy. The word of God is our sword of the spirit is what the word of God calls it. That the word of God is our bullet against our bandits. The word of God is our paddle against the idiot that wants to jump on our kayak. The word of God is something that we need to lodge in our heart and we need to be able to quote and meditate and saturate on the word of God. We need to learn things like I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a young woman lustfully, Job 31. We need to, we need to learn the word of God that says things like how does a young man stay pure by studying the word of God and doing what it says, Psalm 119. We've got to learn the word of God that says, this is the will of the Lord for your sanctification. Therefore, avoid sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. We've got to learn the word of God. We've got to lodge it in our heart. And we've got to use it to wage war against our sexual immorality. You've got to fill your life with the word of God. The second thing you've got to fill your life with is God's spirit. Ephesians 5, it, it says, be very careful how you live, not as foolish, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, understand what the will of the Lord is. And it says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. That's the imperative. If you're gonna fill your life with something, you gotta fill your life with God's word and you gotta, we gotta wake up daily. And this, this may seem exhausting, but the Christian life is not meant to be done in your own strength. And so you wake up daily and you go back to the cupboard and say, God, I'm going to need some bread today. I'm going to need some strength today. That the goal in our Christian life is dependence. Many of you are putting more faith in your own strength than you are putting faith in your own weakness. And so you're not going to God consistently to be filled with his power so that you can flee the very thing that's got you in its grip. And you need to be filled with the spirit of God. That, that, that I'm, I'm coming up on 15 years of marriage, praise God. And, and, I'm, and, and listen, listen, it doesn't get any easier. Every temptation and every struggle, I've got more to lose today than I have ever had to lose in my life. 
And I had to learn when I was in your season of life how to get on my knees and say, God, I don't want to act upon these desires. I don't want you to take away the desires. I'm not about that because I'm looking forward to that someday, right? But I need you to give me the strength that I need so that I don't try to satisfy these desires in ungodly way. Sin is trying to meet a God-given need in an ungodly way. And I need God's spirit to give me the strength so that I can flee from sexual morality so I don't end up cheating on my wife the way my daddy did on my mom. And the only thing that makes me different than him is that I got God's spirit because it's his blood running in my body. But I got the Holy Spirit running in there too. And it gives me the strength I need to run from that sexual morality. The third thing that you need to fill your life with is God's people. Man, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's been seasons in my life where I, it was like, I know that God wants me to do something and I know that I'm not doing that, you know? And it was like, it is so frustrating. You get so guilt-ridden and shame-ridden and I'm like, all right, but by my grace and I mean, by, by, by my might, by my grit, you know, I kind of had this mentality where I'm like, you know what? You know, I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out there and make it happen. You know, I'm gonna pull it up by the bootstraps and I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna get free from this thing on my own. It doesn't work that way. And it wasn't until I linked arms with a group of men and we said, can we get free from this thing together? Uh, some friends of mine, the pastor of this church, Pastor Phil, and one of our worship pastors, Sean Struckmeyer, St Sean Struckmeyer they, they hiked uh, a 14,000 foot mountain last week. Now, they hiked with a guy that's in our church, and I was, um, I was watching these videos, and I think Pastor Phil, I think he, his lungs nearly exploded in the whole excursion. But here's what I know to be true. Not a single one of them would have hiked those mountains by themselves. But the fact that they were with a band of brothers that said, let's conquer this 14,000-foot mountain. And then when they got to that summit, they looked over and said, there's another one. Let's do that one too. You know, I mean, we will do hard things, not on our own. But when we got other dogs in the fight, when we got other horses that we're linked up to, we can pull the weight that we couldn't pull on our own. And you need to fill your life with God's people. If you don't have men, if you don't have men in your life that are running after sexual purity, you need to get some new men in your life. Women, if you don't have women in your life that are running after sexual purity and running after God's best for your life, that'll call you out when you're, when you're responding to some crazy guy and thinking, well, he's different now, he's changed. He ain't changed. You need women in your life to slap, you know, metaphorically slap you and say, no, we ain't going there. We ain't going out on Wednesday night. We're not going to P&L Thursday night. We're not doing that because remember last time you wore that thing that you fit a few years ago, but it don't fit no more. But you know, and like, we don't need to do that. You need people in your life. They're gonna call you out in the name of Christ, but in the name of love so that you can fill your life with God's word, God's spirit and his people. We gotta flee sexual morality. I'm not talking about fighting sexual morality. I'm talking about running from it. And the way that you run from it practically is you've got to fill your life. The, the L stands for this. You've got to lock out the lies. You've got to lock out the lies. There's several lies that we all believe. Let me just give you three. Here's, here's a few lies I think that we can believe. Lie number one, uh, masturbation, it's okay. That many of you have come in here tonight and you created a construct where it's okay to please yourself and that, and that somehow that's 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 okay as long as I'm not. I was, I was talking with a guy a few years ago and he said, I'm, he's like, man, I'm, I was asking, how's your purity going? He's like, oh man, I'm doing good. I, I haven't, I haven't uh, pleased myself and looked at porn and like, man, it's been like a month. And, I was, and I'm, I'm always celebrating sobriety. 
you know, but, but I had to, I kind of sensed that he was proud of that, like in an unhealthy way. And I said, hey man, that's great, but you're not doing good. I said, what if I told you, if you asked me how's my, my purity going with my wife? And I said, oh bro, it's going good. I haven't slept with another woman in a month. It's going great. It, and he says, oh, I, I get it. And there's this lie that we can please ourselves and somehow God's okay with that. C.S. Lewis, he's helpful on this subject matter. He says this. He says, for me, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which, in lawful use, leads the individual out of himself to complete his own personality in that of another, and it turns it back. He says, it sends the man back into the prison of himself. He says, there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. What he's saying is that, that masturbating makes you incredibly selfish. He goes on, he says this, and this harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient. It calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and it can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no real woman can rival. Among those shadowy brides, he's always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is made on his unselfishness, no mortification ever imposed on his vanity, and in the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. That masturbation is an idol to self-satisfaction. And somehow we'll justify that that's okay, but what you're doing is that you're feeding your selfishness. Theologians debate what's the root of all evil, and many of them would say it's selfishness. That's why the Bible is very clear over and over. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, Philippians 2. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross. You've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me in Luke 9. And that for many of us, we are being robbed of our integrity, and we're being robbed of our confidence because we're running to self-satisfying things, thinking that that's gonna boost our ego, all the while it just sucks our ego out. And so a lot of you guys can't look at a woman in the eyes because you're pleasing yourself too much. A lot of you ladies can't look at another person, another man in the eyes because you've, you've been robbed of all your confidence because you lack integrity as to, where you're, as to who you're serving ultimately. And masturbation, it's something that is plaguing the church, man. And in God's eyes, it's a form of sexual immorality and it's a lie. Jesus said this, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And I don't know what all he had in mind there, but I think we could connect some dots with some of our struggles. Lie number two is this, uh, porn isn't as bad as sex. Porn, it's not as bad as sex. And so we'll be like, well, if I go, it, prostitute or porn, you know, we'll kind of reduce it down to that. And, and we'll somehow think, well, God's okay if I take the lesser of two evils. And I would just say, man, that, that's, you're, 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 you're uh, combating evil with evil. And many of you, know, your, your story is very similar to mine. You were exposed to pornography at a, at a young age. And then you found yourself feeding into this industry that is consumed by North Americans. Now, I think y'all know this, but the porn industry makes more money than the NFL, the NBA, the MLB combined. It also makes more money than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined that the majority of us in this room, we were exposed to porn at age 11. 
and that 94% of people have seen it by the time they're a freshman in high school. If you're taking notes, you could write this down if you're still not convinced. Young Christian adults, that's us in here, 18 to 24, many of you are out of that age demographic, but it would apply to you, would say that 76% actively search porn. And then this last stat, because I think sometimes we'll think, well, that's just a man issue. That's just men that are looking at porn. That's not true. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. That it's, it, it used to be a man issue, but now it's just a people issue because it's so readily available. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he was, he was, he's a grandfather. And he was, he was lamenting to me personally that he has been addicted to pornography for the majority of his life. And when I sit down with somebody in their sixth decade, and I think, how did, how did this happen? And I would imagine that when he was in his 20s, when he was 25 years old, he wasn't thinking, you know what? In 35 years, I think I want to be a porn addict. But when he was 25, he didn't lock out the lies and he believed that somehow this was okay. And he continued to feed this secret thing and it ravaged his life. And so now he's sitting before these people and he's finally getting free and there's a weight that's being lifted, but now the secret's been coming out. And none of us wanna wake up 50, 60 years old having to say, I'm a porn addict. And the way you become addicted to porn is that you watch porn. And I think many of us think that we can just walk away from it whenever we're good and ready. But the way you become addicted to porn in your 60s is that you watch porn in your 20s. And you're only becoming more of who you are today. And if you think it's not having effects upon your life, and if you think that you're just going to be able to quit cold turkey, you should try that with heroin. Because it's the same chemical that's going on in our brains. And so the lie that porn is, isn't as bad as sex, and we can feed that. Listen, the word of God tells us that we are, we are called to, to know the will of God. God's will is that we become like him, sanctified, and we avoid sexual immorality. Lie number three is that it's, it's not that bad. You know, it's not that bad. You know, it's, um, it, it's consensual. We're in love. God understands. And I think this is a lie where we think, well, God, want, he, God would want me to be happy. And so we'll just kind of jump into the river of sexuality, and we'll just kind of float however we want to go. And there's a way that seems right, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. When we were out on the river Saturday night, when all this stuff happened, and, and then we got like, you know, safe on the boat ramp, my, my buddy Jason, he was like, hey, were you here earlier when all the police officers were here? I was like, no, what was going on? He said, man, there was like 40 emergency responders, like police cars, fire trucks. He said, there was a guy that was high on meth that got in the river naked, and he was floating down the river, like just swimming. You know, he was in his birthday suit. He was just in the river. He was just freely swimming. And somebody started calling like, hey, there's a naked guy in the river. I think he's going to die, you know. And so he said like all of these emergency responders get called to the boat ramp and they're trying to save this guy and the guy's resisting the help. And that's a picture of many of you in your sex life. You've jumped into the toxic river and, and you're having the time of your life in your 20s. You're in your birthday suit and you're just swimming wherever you want to swim. And God is saying, you need to flee sexual immorality. It's going to take out your life if you're not careful. And there's many lies that we need to lock out if we're going to flee sexual immorality. The, the, the next letter stands for this. We've got to expose to the light. 
We've got to expose to the light. If you're going to flee sexual morality, you've got to open up. You've got to share. Listen, secrets, they cannot grow in the light. The power of sin is in secrecy. So here's a reflective question. How have you perverted sex? Are you actively watching porn? Are you acting upon same-sex attraction? Are you watching things like Euphoria on Netflix? Are you subscribed to an OnlyFans account? Are you on sexually, sexually explicit dating apps that are driven by one-night stands? Are you having sex with your significant other? And listen, you just share those things. And if you haven't opened up, I would contend that you're not gonna get free. And it's not good for your soul. First John tells us this, First John 1, 5 through 7, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all in sin. You have to bring your sin into the light and I would contend that you have to learn how to bring your desire into the light that you will finally begin to get free when you start saying things like this to your community. Bro, I was tempted last night. I didn't act upon it, but I was tempted. And you rally the troops, hey, y'all pray for me. And you start getting ahead of your date nights on the weekend. And you say things like, I've got a plan to not sin. Instead of having this like laissez-faire mentality, like, well, I'm not planning on anything happening. That's not a good plan, bro. When you're not planning on anything happening, you wind up on the couch by 9.30, surfing for things and surfing for things on him or her, all right? And you have to have a plan and you have to open up and say, man, I, I'm, I'm craving to be with this, this lover and share that, expose it to the light. And the last E that spells flee is that you have to embrace God's love. You have to embrace God's love. I think with a message like this, oftentimes because of the experiences that are in the room that you can feel guilt and shame. The first emotion that is referred to in the Bible is that Adam and Eve, they were naked and they had no shame. But when they sinned, it says that they covered up their private parts because they felt shame. And many of you, you've come in here and I've been, I've been challenging you. You gotta flee from sexual morality and, and you think somehow like God is just like mad at you because of the things that you've done. And, and, and listen, when I was on that river and water was all in my kayak, I, I needed to get to level ground so that I could dump all of the things out of my kayak and so that I could finish the course that I had set out to do. And, and if, I, if I just kind of gave up and I just let be what be, that would have been no way to finish that. And many of you, you don't need to let be what be, you need to repent and you need to embrace the love of God. Uh, there's this story in John chapter eight where a woman who was caught in adultery is thrown at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is asked, by these religious rulers, like, hey, this woman, she's caught in adultery. The Mosaic law says that we're, we're to kill her. And, and they've got these rocks and they're ready to throw rocks at this woman until she bleeds to death, y'all. And it says that Jesus, it says that he leans down and he begins to draw something in the sand. And we don't know what he was writing, but you get the scene, man. There's this woman here. She's probably half naked. You have these judgmental religious people that are, that are jeering at her, ready to throw rocks at her. And then you have Jesus doodling in the sand. And then he begins to speak to the religious rulers. And he says, he who was without sin, throw the first stone. And it says that one by one, they begin to drop their rocks. 
And after the last one left, it says that Jesus stands up and he looks at this woman that's filled with shame, filled with condemnation. And he says these most famous words. And these would be the words that were written down by one of his best friends named John that would have been preserved throughout time so that you and I would know without a shadow of a doubt the very words that Jesus would speak to you in the midst of your sin. And he asked this lady, where are those that condemn you? And more than likely tears running down her face. Ashamed of what she'd become. Standing with this man that she doesn't really know, but she does know that he's holy. And she looks around and says, there's no one left. And he looks at her and he says, and neither do I condemn you. And she's free from her condemnation. She's free from her shame. Still smelling like the man that she was with. And the very son of God that came to be the image of God, almighty, the one that had a perfect plan for sex, that knew that the world corrupted it and made it out to be all sorts of deviancies, looks at her in the face and says, I don't condemn you. And the only reason why he could say that with authority and with integrity is because he knew that he was on his way to a cross and that he would lay down his life and he would be spread on a rough hewn beam with nails ran in his wrists and in his feet to die for the fornicator, to die for the pornographer, to die for the pedophile, to die for the abuser, to die for the sins of mankind, even the grossest ones. And he says, I don't condemn you. But then he looks at her. And after comforting her, he challenges that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that's the message that many of you need to cling on to tonight. That many of you in response to tonight, you need to come and bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your sin to the light. And you need to pray to Almighty God. We're about to sing a song talking about how God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that he runs after us in love. And you need to quit living in such proximity to your sin and put more faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross than in your sin. He separated it. It's done. You're not condemned. And you need to embrace that tonight. And from that place of acceptance and God Almighty looking at you and saying, I love you. I don't hate you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. You need to go and sin no more. You need to go and flee sexual immorality. Fill yourself with God's spirit, God's word, God's people. Lock out the lies. Expose what you're struggling with to the light and embrace God's love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it gives us the way things ought to be so that we have a vision of a preferred future. God, I pray that for those that desire marriage, that they would find a significant other. God, that they would, Christian women would find Christian men. They would be equally running towards the kingdom of God together and you'd help them to fall in love and help them to have 
the most amazing intimacy. God, help them to satisfy the desire that you have for marriage and the marriage bed. But God, while we're in the in-between, while many people are here tonight and they don't have a spouse, they have that longing, but they have no one yet, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to submit their sex life to you. When they're laying in bed lonely, God, I pray that you would fill them with your presence. When they're, when they're feeling these desires, these sexual desires, that every bit physiologically, everything's firing, God, I pray that they would have self-control. And God, I pray that they would find their identity and their comfort in your love. Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace your liberty, that you would help us to hear clearly that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And from that place of security, we would go and sin no more. In Christ's name I pray, amen.